Welcome to We Gotta Talk, a live weekly talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. From health to relationships to alternative lifestyles and more, the one thing you will always get is a deep dive. I'm Sunny, a 15-year veteran of TV news, freelance writer, blogger, mom of three, and wife. But most of all, I'm just a die-hard oversharer, someone who's genuinely curious about, well, everything around me. And I can't wait for you to join in on these conversations that I promise will impact, inspire, and entertain you. Now, let's talk. Hey everyone, it's Allie and Blair, the co-founders of Fertility Rally, and we wanted to tell you about an amazing event we're hosting on Saturday, April 17th. The event is called Fertility Rally Live, an all-day virtual celebration of the infertility community for anyone and everyone building their modern families and seeking empowerment, education, support, and community. Our speakers are some of the biggest names and brightest minds in the infertility community and beyond. Our morning keynotes are Mina Starsiak-Hawk and Steve Hawk from HGTV's Good Bones. And our afternoon keynote is Jessica Zucker, PhD and author of the acclaimed memoir, I Had a Miscarriage. In addition to those two amazing keynotes, we're hosting a couples panel, a female physicians panel, and 16 breakout sessions covering everything we could squeeze into one day, including surrogacy, IVF, pregnancy after infertility, male factor infertility, donor conception, embryo adoption, recurrent pregnancy loss, and so much more. There will also be tons of giveaways all day long from fertility-friendly and wellness brands. And of course, a happy hour with a very special guest, a VIP after party, and a virtual swag bag worth hundreds of dollars. If you or someone you know is navigating infertility, you will love our event. We are here to empower and educate you and have some fun along the way, of course. Tickets are on sale now at fertilityrally.com. Head over to our IG at Fertility Rally for even more info on speakers and tickets. We can't wait to rally with you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 114 of We Gotta Talk with Sunny. I am Sunny Abada and here to inform you on a topic that is just so juicy today. We've been coming at the topic of change from all sorts of different angles on both the blog, social media, and here on the podcast. And today's guest, I promise, will give you some great perspective on how to change bad habits, essentially how to rewire your brain when it comes to uh, making good change. Her name is Dr. Gabia Tolakita, and she is the author of the book, Why the Fuck Can't I Change? So the explicit rating we're going to earn multiple times on this episode. So we will bring on Dr. Gabia in just a few minutes and review not only all the bullet points in her book and practical ways to um, break bad habits, start new good ones. We're also going to talk about her work as a neuroscientist and why the tips and tricks in this book are science-backed and maybe a little different from tips you've gotten from other self-help books over the past few years. Really, really excited about that. A quick note for anybody listening on the podcast, we like to do a quick catch up before we get to our guest. If you want to get right to Dr. Gabia, go ahead and fast forward maybe about five minutes or so because we love bringing on producer Rachel to catch up for a few minutes before the show starts. And you did this. You can't see the video right now. Rachel looks totally different. Change is the perfect episode for you to debut your new haircut, right? Exactly. I chopped my hair off and it feels amazing. I chopped off like at least six, six inches. It's at 
like a bob kind of funky new bob. It's a shoulder grazing bob. Yeah. It's Thank you. Um, <laughs> how does that change feel? It feels so good. I I mean, when I do change, I do big. I do change yeah. big, Sunny. I like. I drive across the country. I painted the room in here. I built shelves. I cut my hair off short. Sometimes within get, one week, everybody. Yeah. Within one week. Sometimes I get tattoos and piercings. You know, I just <laughs> mix it up. You know, because when I need a change, I like to see a physical change. I think that helps, especially with, you know, the changes in my personal life. I thought um, it's powerful when you look in the mirror and you see a physical difference for me, at least, you know, just seeing a new haircut and looking at yourself differently in the mirror and sort of a, a physical representation of letting go of the old ways and embracing the the new the new ways. So, yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of the the major haircut at life moments. I oh, yeah. always, when I was dating, I would get the big chop after a breakup or like a relationship <laughs> transition or something. But the haircut for me is actually not a great way to mark any change because my hair just really? gets bigger as it gets shorter. So yeah. I've had to find other things to change. But so I'm not you like you. I change habits. I'm not a drastic person. You know me personally, and I'm hearing you talk, and I get Nicole vibes, like my sister vibes. Like she'll be like, she'll call me and she'll be like, I'm getting a new tattoo for my kids today. And I'm like, whoa, we're going to think about this. And she's like, nope. So I am a slow and steady changer, which is why I, I love this book. And we'll talk more about this in a second. Um, change to me being a, an anxious person is scary. I've actually really, even as a child, always been really, really anxious and nervous about change. I remember asking my mom when I was younger, like, I don't think I want to grow up because I don't know what's going to happen when I get older. And she's like, okay, this is like too heavy for a seven-year-old. Yeah. Um, so change makes me innately very nervous. So I'm like a slow and steady. I will change one thing at a time. Like I'm trying to become a morning person, for example. So I get up early two days a week and that's it. That's all, that's all she can handle. And then I slowly, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. I'm like so you know, different that's, in that way. That's interesting because I'm a very anxious, I'm anxious as well and have anxiety. And so for me, change is easy. Like making a big change and making a big life decision is very easy. Like once I know what I'm gonna do, I I'm doing it. As far as like, routine, daily routine structure, changing that <clears throat> or not having that routine structure is hard on my anxiousness. But mm -hmm. big stuff, I'm just like, oh yeah, change oh, I this. I hate this. Let's change that. You know, this wall color is horrible. I'm going to buy paint today. We're, you know, paint taping. I'm doing it. Give me the roller. I got this. Where's the YouTube video? <laughs> I love like, it. Just uh, get your hands dirty and, and do it big. But I mean, I was trying to think when we worked in news, I don't think I had my short hair when I knew you. I think I have no, always had it's long always hair. Been longer. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, this is like a big this is a big change. You you signed on to the feed today and I was like, oh yeah. I told you it gives me Jennifer Aniston vibes, like in the best way. Like everybody has yeah. hair envy with Jennifer Aniston, and this is like you. you have the perfect hair for it. Well, Chef's kiss. You. Beautiful, All right. beautiful. Let's hear what Dr. Gabia yes, has to say. Let's about bring in Dr. Gabia. It's like um, drastic and little changes. I'm sure there's some science behind behind all of this. Oh yes, we're gonna bring her on. Rach, we'll see you on the flip side. 
Um, all right, guys, just a quick bio for our guest today. Dr. Gabia Tolakita is a neuroscientist, a lecturer, and a performance and well-being coach. She is the author of this book, which I'm holding up if you're watching the video, Why the Fuck Can I Change? Um, she's also a TEDx speaker. Her work has been featured in The Guardian, among other countless publications. Dr. Gabia, thank you so, so much for coming on. We got to talk today. Hi, Sunny. It's great to be here. You know, your, love your chat made me want to get a haircut now, actually. <laughs> Well, don't do any, don't do any drastic <laughs> changes while you're pregnant. I learned this. Um, I, I have made big decisions um, regarding appearances before when I was like in hormonal states and I never turned out. <laughs> um, Dr. Gabia, tell us why study change? What inspired this book? Well, I, in my book, I share the insights of the brain. So how does the brain function? So I spend 12 years of my life doing research on the brain and based on that, I was, you know, I, I kind of uh, like to share the insights which make sense from the neuroscience point of view. And, and you, you've done research for how long in this field again? You said 12 years total? Well, about 12 years. Um, and, and does that include, um, you know, interfacing with lots of patients and people and understanding how their brains work? Uh, not, not quite with patients. So a lot of research was done on actual neurons and actual neuronal networks of the brain. So really looking at how the, the very, you know, very uh, sort of mechanism of all these habits, how, how does that happen in the brain? Um, and, and you know what I learned that actually the like brain doesn't really make change for no good reason. To create change in the brain requires huge effort, a lot of energy, and it, it requires to restructure brain networks. And that mm -hmm. takes, takes time. And in addition to that, there is one brain region called amygdala, which absolutely hates change, which loves predictability because it wants to keep us safe. So, so, so a lot, a lot, there is a lot of reasons why brain doesn't deal well with a really, really sudden uh, change, and especially changing a lot of things all at once. Mm -hmm. I was reading in, in the early portions of your book, you really take a very scientific approach, as you said, to explaining the different areas and functions of the brain. And you wrote, our brains were designed to create and maintain habits to save energy and ensure quick reaction times. So much of our current modern brain is programmed from, what is it, millions of years of mm -hmm. existence and survival. And and you said that's the, at the root of why, as modern humans, mm -hmm. it's so difficult to adjust things. Yeah, yeah. And, and brain has to deal with so much every day. We, we don't really appreciate how much needs to happen for us to get through our day. Like if you think if you're driving a car, it seems such a straightforward thing to do now. But you have to thank all those really ancient brain regions which automatize mm -hmm. those actions. If you if you are trying to write, right, handwriting and just being able to read and write, that's something what took huge, huge effort and attention to learn. And now those ancient brain regions grouped in the, in the pelomamalian brain co complex mm -hmm. allow you to do that effortlessly and without thinking so you can do other things at the same time. You run through the lizard brain, the mammal brain, and the human brain in the early part of this book. Tell us briefly what those are. Well, if, if you take a look at how the brain looks from the outside, so this is how my brain would look like now. All this wrinkly bit on the brain is the newest addition to the brain called the human brain, or actually more scientific term is neocortex. And that's the most, uh, the, the, the brain region which is the most different from any other 
brains of other species. However, other centers of the brain we share with multiple other species as well. And, and that's how the brain evolves, you know, in, in the course of millions of years, of course. Uh, if we open the brain, we see uh, these structures in the middle called mammalian brain and also called limbic system. That's what creates habits and emotions. And that brain region keeps us safe, basically. And this, this long region there, which is extenuation of your spinal cord, is called the lizard brain. And as name implies, of course, reptiles have very, very similar regions. And this region controls heartbeat, digestion, breathing, certain aspects of consciousness. So this, this region is responsible for keep it, keeping us alive, really. Mm -hmm. So they all work in, in tandem, essentially, to create actions that, like you said, maybe happening sort of below the surface, routines and patterns that we're used to, all the way up to higher functioning things like analyzing, understanding, um, mm. and things, right? So our brain is, is firing on all cylinders all the time. Yes, exactly. But interesting bit is that sometimes those brain regions disagree with one another. So the desire to create change and, you know, do all these spontaneous actions usually come from the neocortex or the wrinkly bit of, you know, human brain or our, you know, the high aspirations and wanting to be better and wanting to create a deliberate change. They, they come all from neocortex. Uh, mammal brain, on the other hand, wants to be to know what's going to happen next, because mammal brain thinks that if you survive up till now doing the things you have been doing, you're better off just carrying on doing those things that way. Yeah. Uh, so, so often they can actually have disagreements. You know, your human brain would say, okay, well, just don't eat that bagel. And, and mammal say, just eat that bagel. You know, you were, you're okay up till now eating that, right? So, so, so there is, there is in that inner conflict often uh, because those, those regions have different agenda. Yeah, it's true. And anyone who's tried to break a pattern, especially you mentioned bagels, like anything like sugary or carb related, mm. our brains respond in a different way to that type of food. But it's exactly why we have such a difficult time breaking, breaking habits. And you mentioned in the book, the truth that habits can be good or bad. What have you found in your research that are the truest motivators to change? Well, we all want to change if we accumulated enough pain doing the things the same old way. Uh, because ultimately the mammal brain centers, they, they, they push us to act towards the things that give us reward or pleasure and push us away from something that gives us pain. And sometimes, you know, things that give us pleasure short term can give us pain long term. And, you know, eating sugar is one of the one of the things or being in a kind of uh, stuck in a relationship, which kind of feels too painful to leave. But over time, we accumulate hurt and, and other feelings that push us, push us away. Uh, so, so that normally is the biggest motiva motivator why people want to change. And people have different thresholds, though, for pain and for displeasure, which I guess is, is part of the problem, right? There are people who can um, continue to repeat a bad habit that is, that is paining them emotionally or physically, and yet they still can't find the incentive to change. What's going on there? If the, if the, the pain isn't enough, if the discomfort, whether it's emotional or physical, isn't enough, um, how does a person in that position um, break through and, and make effective change? Well, we all do all the habits for certain reasons. We meet certain needs with even the things what we call bad habits. And sometimes we are in the states where we can't find alternatives 
we really like you know if if you feel anxious and you learn that eating sugary snacks or going on social media reduces your anxiety but you're too preoccupied with other things to find the alternatives that can help you to learn to to identify what are the causes of your anxiety and how you could meet the need of safety in better ways you'll keep repeating that even if it's actually causing you know reduction in productivity and and causing negative effects to your health now when when we slow down and have enough emotional well-being and enough mental energy to really analyze and get self-awareness on those things we can come up with alternatives but it doesn't happen when we are running full speed and constantly you know juggling multiple things and and really really stressed all the time so what advice do you give someone to give themselves that space and time to reflect i know that um like you said a lot of your work is research based right now but if you were working one on one with someone coaching them on maintaining effective change or even starting to change um what are some of the practical things they could start to do to give themselves the space to begin so first step is that deliberate change requires energy a lot of energy and time and consistency so we need to firstly take a look at our diary is there anything in the diary that i could do without because if you're constantly really really busy and rushing all the time you will fall back into old habits it's not going to be a consistent change once we free up some space and really like get rid of the things which which we can either delegate or are non essential um we can start to firstly um ask ourselves questions okay what's one thing i truly truly would want to change and the reason i ask just for one thing because it's the brain hates you know doing all things or multiple uh, multi changing multiple habits all at once because one region of your mammal brain as i mentioned at the beginning amygdala will freak out and if amygdala freaks out it can hijack your rational centers your your human brain and push you back into the old habits so we want to avoid that the way to avoid that is doing things very slowly as 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 you know son son it likes to do it so firstly um free up some space and time in your diary secondly ask what's one thing you truly truly want to change thirdly find out how you can actually incorporate regularity in doing things the new way and fourth thing is actually if you still struggle to find motivation to create that change asking yourself questions how doing things the new way is going to cause you multiple benefits now and in the future and writing a long list of benefits and how doing things the old way will cause you drawbacks so what we're trying to do there we're trying to create associations with pleasure so we try to trigger pleasure centers to push our mammal brain towards that new action and away from the old action and if we repeat that for long enough we create new neural networks in the brain which gets stronger and stronger with subsequent repetition and which later on become so called brain highways so become our automatic new way to do things okay have you seen success with people that i mean i'm trying to like personally reference a, a time that i'd made a drastic change um but i'm struggling really because i feel i feel like i'm a failure dr gabia because i've made small changes but what is your work taught you and what kind of success stories have you seen 
when people implement sort of a thoughtful and deliberate plan like you just walked us through? Well, a small gradual change, that's what we are aiming for. So I work with clients all the time in my consulting work and with companies, with organizations. I help them to incorporate change such as, you know, changing leadership styles and changing methodologies they use and so on. And the more gradual change, the better. The more chance it has to be a lasting change. Uh, and with my clients, you know, we achieved, my clients changed careers, but it didn't happen that suddenly they came and say, okay, I want to quit my job. And mm -hmm. those clients usually are the unhappiest people, you know, who just suddenly make a drastic change and suddenly they find themselves depressed and not knowing what to do next. So what hmm. we do with my clients, we do so-called parallel career development while still maintaining their day job. So career change is very common, changing health habits, such as eating, nutrition habits, changing emotional patterns and breaking relationship patterns and developing healthier relationship patterns in the future romantic relationships. And I've been working with that ever since 2014, 13, 14, with mm -hmm. multiple clients. And, and if people are consistent and deliberate in the actions, they get there. But often we need to address all the underlying causes why they have created a previous habits in the first place. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it does back, it requires that back work, that reflection, that understanding how they often, arrived there. Very often. Right. Yeah. Well, no, go ahead. Do you have anything, uh, any final thoughts? Well, I... A lot of times we get into what we call bad habits because of the history. And if, if we have certain actions, we say, I, I don't understand why, but I can't leave this relationship. I don't understand why, but I get really, really jealous in those situations or really angry in those situations. It's our mammal brain speaking. And mammal brain over lifetime, since we are born, and even before that, accumulates trauma. And we become really reactive as a result of the trauma. But because mammal brain is not rational, we act usually very irrationally. And often our human brain can be like a little bit, you know, disturbed by it. They saying, why did I even do that? I, you know, it's not me. It doesn't, doesn't seem like me. So often it requires looking back to understand the past patterns that led us there and heal those past wounds in order to overcome that. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm thinking of, I mean, we're like huge advocates of therapy and like talking through things on this show. And I'm just thinking of your work in tandem with a therapist and how powerful that would be to um, get through sort of the emotional blocks, like you said, that led people to these bad patterns to begin with, and then work with you to kind of break through and, and, and mm, mm. develop good ones. And sometimes, sometimes the deeper emotional work is not necessary. When we work with relationships and emotional patterns, yes, that, that that's really, really important. But when, if somebody is stuck in the job they hate, uh, you, for them to figure out how they got there in the first place, what were they trying to achieve with it is important to gain awareness, what are the next correct steps to take? So to really learn, you know, what would be the better better criteria for the career mm -hmm. success, what they learned from the past journey and take that on board still requires past reflection, but might not need to go as deep as the deeper, you know, emotional work you, you know, when we, when we try to change emotional and relationship patterns. Interesting. Okay. Um, in, in a chapter where you're discussing personalities, you say neuroscience has provided a vast amount of evidence that our brains can change 
throughout life. Um, that was great news to me. I feel like it probably was to many people who read it because we feel lost and hopeless when we have difficulty changing patterns. Um, when you say that our brains can change, what precisely does the research say about how, generally speaking, hard that is? And again, tactics you use to move past that. Well, in general, brain doesn't change for no good reason. Mm. In the brain, there is multiple mechanisms uh, that underlie so-called brain plasticity, which is ba brain's ability to create lasting change or to create change in the first place. So we know that in certain regions, there is new cells being born, even as a, in, during adulthood, uh, and that the phenomenon is called neurogenesis, but also the uh, brain networks that create emotions, habits, skills, and so on. Uh, they are not static, they are plastic, they can change in strength. So some networks, which we use most frequently, they get stronger and stronger over time. And the ones which we use less frequently, they get weaker and weaker over time. And that underlies, you know, for example, if, you, if you're just learning to drive a car, um, due to that, you become more and more proficient in, at it and until it becomes automatic. And if you learn a foreign language at school, which you no longer practice, you gradually forget more and more of it. And that's kind of the mechanism of multiple kind of changes we want to incorporate in our lives. However, uh, important bit there is, is to do things different way. We need not only to create new networks, we need to also strengthen them over time, but also we need to weaken the old competing networks. And that takes a lot of energy, effort, and consistency, repetition. So in other words, the kind of brain does change, but it requires methodological actions towards a new way and away from the old way. Interesting. Where do you stand on, on nature versus nurture? I'm just throwing this in there. As in aside. everything, there is both. I think yeah. that's, that's already clear, but whatever we studied in any, you know, the phenomena, there's always both components and in different, different, um, things we discussed, the risk percentages differ, how much nature, how much nurture contributes, but it's always both. It's interesting to me. It's become more fascinating as a parent. We chatted a little offline before we started recording. Mm -hmm. And I always tend to say my, my kids come out who they are. Like I have, I have mm -hmm. taken the clay and like sort of molded it like a couple of curves here and there, but basically they're the <laughs> hunk of you know, molding clay that they came out as. This is a horrible analogy, but you get what I'm saying. But I was just curious from an actual neuroscientist's research perspective, if there's any like, um, you know, numerical data that shows, but that would be really hard to quantify now that I'm thinking it's, it's it. It's quite hard to quantify because it's we look at a lot of different things all at once. But if you mm -hmm. think, if you... If you compare, okay, like it's it might be maybe it's not necessarily the most elegant example to use, but have you ever had a dog or pet of any kind? Mm -hmm. Right. So if you try to train a dog, and if you reward the dog for certain actions and punish for other actions, dog starts behaving certain way. Now that happens to all of us throughout life. The the situations where we experience positive feedback, we kind of when we're drawn to do those situations. And other situations where we experience constant criticism, we didn't want to do them anymore, no matter how important they were after. And that happens with our children, you know, the things we sort of encourage them to do and, and, and we are supportive, uh, they are more likely to do those things. And therefore, that, that's more likely to become part of who they are. However, 
different kids have are drawn to very different activities and that's probably the the uh, nurture component so, so so some kids are naturally drawn to performing uh, and music other kids are naturally more drawn to to different activities such as rock climbing and football and so on and why why that is who knows you know um so 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 there is definitely both components at play when we raise our kids and but because we are biased we sometimes don't notice the things like i i, I will tell you a joke my my, my three-year-old daughter she's really drawn to ballet now my husband laughs at it because my childhood or not child adulthood dream was to become a dancer i mean i never really as a child i hated dancing but as an adult i started to really love to dance and I was like, oh, you know, I was telling to my husband, honey, look, our daughter really, she she loves to watch ballet. He's like, yeah, yeah, of course, because you bought her ballet shoes, you bought her ballet <laughs> You keep showing her ballet performances. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> That's a case of nurture and a little consumerism in there too. Well, we can influence our kids, but I have found she must really like it because I, I have bought my kids all of the props and things for activities I thought they would like. And they were like, no thanks and they just <laughs> left it on the floor so <laughs> she must have a natural I'll interest posted. too i'll keep you posted yeah that's interesting um i wanted to ask you about the individual value hierarchy which you talk about in the book and the role it plays kind of along this line of discussion in in shaping our talents and our interests yeah well that actually nicely ties in with with that you know individual differences in our personalities what things we are drawn uh, at so when somebody says oh i'm just not motivated at doing things there, there's nothing i really like i'm a lazy person that's almost never if not never actually true we're lazy in certain things but for other things we always find energy time money and effort mm -hmm. for and it differs from person to person. However, we get indoctrinated with what things are good, what things are bad, with what things are desirable in society, family, relationships, what things are not. So we judge ourselves by other people's value hierarchy. But all of us have really, really intrinsic individual value hierarchy. And if you look at things you always, always find time and energy for, and things that energize you and make you really happy, they usually are the things at the top of your list. And for those activities, you're never you're never lazy, you never procrastinate, and you always find time to do those. For other activities, which are much lower in your value here, you need extrinsic motivation. You need to sort of push yourself to do that. Um, and those that just means that they are not intrinsically very, very high in your value hierarchy. And that's important when we try to understand why certain habits don't stick, while other habits are very, very easy to create uh, in, in our lives. So, so, so that kind of often is, is one of the aspects of it. But also, when we try to create a change, sometimes we need to change the perspective and motivate ourselves via how this specific habit is going to uh, help me with my true highest values. So we mm -hmm. can link activities to our highest values and that creates much more intrinsic uh, motivation and we're much more inspired to do that action then. I'm thinking as you're talking on my value hierarchy, <laughs> this is gonna sound horrible and I promise I'm not a bad wife. My work is very, I'm never too tired. I am writing into the night. I am and making dinner and like doing domestic things is a very low on my value hierarchy. Mm. But here's what I found. Um, I still do it, right? I still make an effort and do it. 
but fully for external reasons, because I know that doing so brings my family together and makes my kids happy and my husband happy. But it was a real lesson for me because it took someone else saying, well, I mean, obviously you're not that tired, Sonny. You do 15 podcasts a week or whatever, you know, you're working. It's just a reassessment of your, your energy and your priorities. But I really had to work at that. It does not come naturally to me to want to do certain things. And I have, I had to find that I had to stop blaming a lack of time or energy and say, you own up and say, you know what? I just decided this week mm. to, and it's hard because it makes me feel like a bad mom or, or partner. Yeah, and ask yourself whose voice is that? Oh, that's society's. That's the patriarchy sister. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> because at the end of the day, this judgment doesn't come from our pure intrinsic self. Because if you could decide exactly what you wanted to do, how you wanted to get things done, you probably would delegate cooking and you, your family would still have nice meals together. But in the meanwhile, you would be able to do other things you want to do instead, right? So you could, mm -hmm. it might be quality time with your kids. It might be doing a little bit more work. It might be anything, anything else, but sitting, you know, standing at the, at the stove cooking, cooking something. So, so I think it's, we need to... Often, when we say, "Oh, I really want to change this," right, and but I don't seem it doesn't seem to stick with me. It might not be our own desire to do that. It might be somebody else's agenda in our heads. It could be societies. It could be our parents. It could be our partners. You name it. So often, in order to create um, a change that's meaningful, we need to actually really. A clear out our value hierarchy from things that's been there incorporated by you know that indoctrination we need to deprogram is what you're mm, saying right exactly yeah. exactly to clear the shoulds i love that clear the shoulds um tell us why your book dr gabia is different i feel like people who are tend to be drawn to self-help books or that type of genre will want to read this, but it is different um, in, in a lot of ways because of the science background. So sell yeah. us on why and how this is different. So I firstly tell you which people shouldn't read this book. So if somebody wants a quick fix and wants this really easy, easy read that they could sit down, read in one sit-in and suddenly things would be magically different. That's not the kind of book. Don't buy it, buy a different book. But if you are one of those people who want to understand why we do as we do, who are quite interested in how the brain works and, and want to understand yourself via that and want to have real practical tools, you can actually work, but actually work is a very important uh, word there, towards through those methods um, and have this book you know, on your bedside or on your on your desk and gradually keep on keep on uh, plodding along in order to create lasting change and you 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 feel you're in a place where you can do that then read this book i love it we did have a quick question from uh, instagram that someone just submitted and you can take this as you will i'm not sure i, I fully understand it but it says how does physiology play a role in change does that make sense to yeah well it means a lot of things physiology right so so i'll, I'll kind of mention one aspect of physiology so so our bodies and brains are connected and and one of the easiest ways to understand that so if i scare you in one one way or another um you you suddenly will feel very different in your body 
And the reason being you activated so-called sympathetic nervous system, which made your heart beat really, really quickly, your digestive system got, got blocked, and your immune system got blocked, and your body basically got ready to either punch me or run away from me. Now, if you're kind of a little bit stressed, but I come and give you a hug or make you a nice meal and you sit down and start eating, eating dinner, and you just suddenly start to relax, you activate so-called parasympathetic nervous system, which does opposite to your body, which basically slows down your heartbeat, allows your, your digestive system to kick in and digest food. But not only that, actually your thinking changes completely. In that state, you can actually be much more empathic towards me. In that state, you can understand yourself better. And in contrast, in sympathetic nervous system, our thinking becomes really, really very simplistic because the brain doesn't want to waste resource, resources uh, for the cognitive functions because in sympathetic nervous system, we just need to basically run away, right? Mm -hmm. So, so that those physiological states can make a huge difference in the way we feel, in the way we think, and in what we're capable of. And imagine if somebody is, is in the job where they constantly trigger the sympathetic nervous system because there might be really, really tight deadlines or they might be feeling, you know, uh, kind of sort of that stressful, stressful emotions around the, the colleagues, uh, whatever triggers there might be. Uh, that person would really, really struggle to create a lasting change because what mm -hmm. stress does, stress blocks the neuroplasticity in the brain. On, on contrary, if, if somebody else is in the job which feels really motivating and relaxing and the, the constant is quite high on the value list, so therefore they constantly kind of trigger pleasure centers as they're doing it, that would trigger the reward centers, that would constantly trigger parasympathetic nervous system, and that person would be thriving in neuroplasticity aspects. So for them, change would be much, much easier. So overall, physiology makes a huge a a a effect in our, a huge difference in our changing habits and you know, sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. Components are just one part of it. I could talk about it for a couple hours if you like. What I'm hearing you say essentially though is to to try when when time and situation permits to get ourselves into a calmer state, not that reactive mammalian yeah. brain, so that we can process change and start change better. It seems yeah, to be change is not possible when we are stressed. Yeah. As simple as that. That's very, very good. Very good way to end. We're going to wrap up shortly. I know you have a lecture you have to get to. So I want to ask to wrap things up, Dr. Kabia, any final thoughts or advice you have for people who might be struggling to either accept a change or start down a path of changing a bad habit? Well, first of all, um, a lot of tools that are widely popular um, and which kind of don't necessarily create a lasting change are often not working in congruence with how your brain functions. And I might be a bit, you know, biased, but, but if you understand what your brain truly needs and what's possible in those states, it would help you to understand yourself much better. Uh, and also, therefore, then it would make a change much, much more possible. And it's very, it's a bit of a paradox Often, in order to change ourselves, we need to accept ourselves for who we are, as opposed to being somebody who we are not, somebody different. So this book, my biggest actually dream, that this book helps people 
to have this journey to self, journey mm -hmm. to understanding who am I at the core as a person? What's my history? What's my dreams? What's what are my dreams? What's my you know value hierarchy and which habits I got into in, in for what reason and in, in various areas of my life. So my kind of hope that this book will help people to understand themselves more, accept themselves more, give practical tools to create a meaningful change, not whatever random change, meaningful change in their lives, and offer more acceptance and care and empathy to other people also as a result of themselves being in a better state emotionally and mentally. You have been such a wealth of wisdom and information. Dr. Kabia Tolakita, thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. No worries. It was great to be here. Thank you so much. And guys, we will link her website, which is mybrainduringtheday.com. She's also on Instagram, but um, she said her preferred way to reach out, definitely go to the website. And as we mentioned on Instagram, we are actually doing a giveaway in conjunction with Dr. Gabia's team. So go to my grid at Sunny Nevada and um, check out the way to enter. We're going to do that by the end of this week. So get on it if you can. Rach, we're going to pop you back on for a quick wrap session before we. Yeah. <laughs> so we have this thing, guys, this our, our streaming platform. We can see small little screens on the bottom. And as Dr. Gabi was talking about, if you work in a job that is high stress and Rachel and I just like start really? pouring sweat from our armpits, we're like, yes, in news, TV news, like spend decades of our lives in essentially fight or flight for the better portion of eight hours a day. So uh -huh. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I told you this before. It's really interesting to hear her take on needing to slow down, needing to self-reflect, needing to be deliberate because, um, gosh, that stress and its effects can bleed into everything. I mean, I told you got a while back about how I did a blood panel recently and the doctor was like, I just don't understand why your blood work looks like this because you're 30 something. It shouldn't like, have you done shift work or really stressful work? I was like, well, let me tell you a little story. So it's just hearing her talk about the necessity to, to slow down, reflect, and then start your journey on change just really resonated with me. Oh, yeah. I wanted to see if Dr. Gabia had a minute to give an example of what she was just saying at the end about when you understand um, what parts of your brain needs in those states. Um, I'm going to, can I bring you back in? Yeah, Dr. pop Gabia? her back on. Really quick. Because I, I, yeah, I was like, oh, this is connecting with me and seems like it would help to make real change when you're when you're in those states of um, high stress or survival mode. Um, and I was listening, you were saying, you know, we need the positive reinforcements and the positive reactions, but like in those moments, how do you, how do you deal with it? And what really does the brain need? Obviously you could expand for hours on it, but in a short bit. Well, there is very interesting phenomena in the brain, which is called amygdala hijack. So mm. if something causes us threat response, so if something brain detects it as a danger, it could be displeased partner, it could be a, a car driving dangerously on the road, it could be anything else, any threat you could think of, even just, you know, just like a financial well-being or whatever that could trigger that kind of uh, warning side in, uh, science in your brain. 
what it can do, it actually, amygdala is connected to the prefrontal cortex. It can deactivate your rational centers of the brain for a short period of time. And how long is usually about 15 minutes. So imagine if somebody says something that really upsets you for 15 minutes, you can't be rational. You are very, very likely to say things you don't mean or to do things you later regret. Um, I recently written an article in the Telegraph about it, how actually taking 15 minutes off when you're noticing in, in your body the stress building up, that strong emotional state building up is a very, very sort of good, good, good way forward. Because in that state, we are as intelligent as a three or four year old child at most, right? So as my toddler daughter, basically. And our behavior show that we often are, you know, tantrums in our adult ways. So two things that can help, 15 minutes break, or doing things such as breathing exercises. Breathing is a very powerful way to change the, 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 the both brain state and, and physiological state. And in particular, like doing that kind of slow breathing where you, you take only six breaths in a minute. Mm -hmm. So you take 10 seconds per breath. So breathe in to the count, let's say, of, of four, hold to the count of four, and breathe out to the count of four or five, right? So kind of do that 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 um, slow breathing. And even if you do that just for one minute, just six breaths like that, that naturally calms your stress response down and gives a chance for prefrontal cortex to kick in and to make much more sound and rational judgment. That Take was 15 range. Got it. I'll be right back. <laughs> oh, no, awesome. that makes a lot of sense. And when you were saying that, that immediately one of our previous guests, um, Stevie Wright, who's a breathwork uh, expert, popped into my head. I was like, that's why people do these intense breathing and breathwork exercises in these moments and why they mm. see such a positive response after, like if they've had a tough conversation, taking 10 minutes to go and sit and do a breathing, whatever that is, the four count significantly mm. reduces that stress. That makes total sense to me. So thank yeah. you. And even, even, you know, in the break, when you take 15 minutes break, you don't even need to do anything particularly effortful just mm -hmm. playing a game on your phone can help actually mm -hmm. something what basically that your mind is not on the stressor and distractions right. certain distractions could help going outside for fresh air can help just taking you know a toilet break and saying oh i'm sorry i need to go right today yeah. <laughs> and just taking a bit of a break or going to drink a glass glass of water can actually give that needed needed period for the for the amygdala to calm down and prefrontal cortex to kick in. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Dr. Gavir. No, I see it. Take care. Thank you so much. Again, her website, guys, is mybraindurringtheday.com. We'll link that in show notes. But um, good stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was super helpful. I wanted to hear some, some more on that because I was like, that's making sense to me. And we live in stress. I think it's just part of our trauma from our past study of working with local news and it's so wired and I'm, no addicted, to, I'm addicted to stress I think uh, this is a separate conversation but I am so high functioning under yeah. stress that I have really come to strangely prefer that state and I I, I don't I don't know really how to that's my work that I have to do on change is to learn 
how to slow down and and like slowing down. It's not that I don't I can't relax. I can very much sit still, but I just perform so well under stress that I find myself procrastinating so that I have that motivation, which I feel like is just a dangerous path to be on. But I you know. think I think that's what Dr. Gabia was saying about looking back into the past of what originally started that stress and and breaking that down and, and creating new ways of functioning. Cause I'm the same way I thrive under yes. stress and chaos and in, in tra traumatic situations, obviously as we've <laughs> been so we're successful. Really, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're like, I love stress. I thrive when there's trauma around. It's not like that in, in the, you know, I'm not trying to like encourage or welcome that into my life, but it is crazy no. how functioning, how high functioning I am under just tremendous amounts of stress. I feel like, I mean, I love my family dearly, but we're a very emotional family. And I feel like I was trained from an early age and like big, big, good feelings too. And it wasn't like abusive. It was just like, ah, like we're always like, and so I am very always outwardly projecting and connecting. And it, I found that it's a real drain. So I'm working yeah. on it, but you know. Yes, I'm working on it too. We got our therapy, we got our <laughs> show, we've got this our whole year. guests um, and books that this, we're reading. <laughs> yeah. Yes, this whole roster of amazing guests we've had on, I feel like has been our sort of personal therapy sessions. So anyway, I've um, learned your best. Yeah, I've learned. yes, we're learning together. It's awesome. Um, so anyway. Rach, thank you. You're welcome. We'll see Thanks. you next week with more goodness. And guys, thank you so much for listening. I know I got so much from that episode and um, I hope you did too. Check out Dr. Gabia's book, Why the Bleep Can I Change? I've already sworn 15 times. I don't know why I'm all of a sudden self-censoring. But again, we're giving this away on Instagram. Follow me at Sunny Abada. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It makes a huge difference in getting the show out to people who might enjoy it or find it useful. And check out the website. Every day I am updating the site with posts related to whatever we're covering that week. So go to wegotatalk.com slash blog. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week with more goodness here on We Gotta Talk. Bye.